Welcome to the EFC Podcast. Welcome to the EFC Podcast. Today we're joined by Ken Shugamatsu from Vancouver, who is a pastor out there and also a very well-known author. Uh, He's written an international bestseller called God in My Everything, uh, which lots of people have talked about and Ken has written and talked about that. But today uh, we want to speak with Ken about something different, and that is a sermon that he preached a while back on reconciliation with First Nations people that got a lot of attention, including our own. So we've invited Ken uh, on today to just let us explore that together. So welcome, Ken. Thanks, Karen. It's good to be with you. So tell us about, first of all, what prompted your sermon on First Nation reconciliation and also some of the response you've gotten. Yeah, well, there were a couple of things that led me to speak on this issue. Uh, First of all, we were in the midst of creating a five-year strategic plan for our faith community. And so I wanted to preach a sermon that reflected our core vision and values. And one of our values is is reconciling. And then uh, in the month before, the demonstrators had shouted in Charlottesville, Virginia, Blacks will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. And so that was on people's minds. And then earlier in the year, as you may recall, a gunman walked into a mosque in Quebec City and shot down and killed six worshipers. And so it it seemed as though racial turmoil was on people's minds. And, And so I thought it would be good to address the issue of reconciliation. It's one of our values. It was a hot topic and specifically to talk about reconciliation or conciliation with our First Nation sisters and brothers. Yeah, and you use that word conciliation on purpose. Can you help us understand that? Yes, uh, reconciliation presumes that you've had a relationship with someone that's been broken and, and now you want to see it restored. A lot of us have never really been in relationship with Indigenous peoples, and, and so Conciliation, for a lot of us, myself included, may be a more apt term because it's about building a relationship that wasn't there. Okay. And when you say, Ken, that reconciliation is a core value of your church, uh, do you mean that like sort of in the broadest sense of the word, or are you talking specifically about reconciliation with First Nations peoples? Yeah, it's it's uh, in, a, in a broad sense. Obviously, okay. reconciliation with God is important to yeah. us, but we also want to be the kind of community that that draws people across different races, ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic places. Uh, You know, it's said that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning may be the most segregated hour in North America. And we feel that the gospel reconciles us not only to God, but to each other. Yeah. You, uh, I've read, I think it was around this sermon, actually, you did a little writing about preaching difficult topics and that uh, sometimes, you know, you preach things that might be controversial and, um, and you go ahead and do that. <laughs> and I'm wondering, um, first of all, did you get any pushback or is this, is this a controversial topic to preach about? I, I don't actually hear it preached about all that much, I don't think. Yeah, and I think that part of the reason why people don't preach on it is because uh, there's a fear, I think, that will offend people, yeah. that people will stop coming or stop giving. Okay. And so I knew that it, it, it was a sensitive topic. And, you know, most pastors, myself included, uh, we want to draw people in, 
Uh, we don't want to offend people. We want to be like. But there are times when we're called to speak prophetically, as, as Jesus and the prophets did. And I thought that this was an important issue close to God's heart that, as far as I knew, wasn't being addressed. And, and so I felt that, that, that it would be important to, to address it. Yeah. Let me, I want to read a couple of sentences from uh, this most recent sermon on this topic and then ask you to comment on it because I mm -hmm. found this particularly moving. This is what you said. Five years ago, while preaching a sermon here, I made a passing reference to the fact that Indigenous people had been abused by the colonists. After the service, a man came up to me, introduced himself as Colin, a chief of one of the First Nations peoples here in British Columbia. With tears streaming down his cheeks, he said, I want to thank you for acknowledging what was done to our people. This is the first time in my life I've heard someone who's not Native acknowledge what happened to our people without being under external pressure to do so. I have to say, when I read that in your sermon, I was I was just blown away by it. And I also felt shame. I thought, how how could that be? So can you respond to that and tell us more about your feelings around that story and this last sermon? Yeah, well, five years ago, I don't remember all the details of that particular message, but I had made a passing reference to the fact that some of the first colonists from Europe to Canada had misled the indigenous peoples, had basically stolen their land because the First Nations people were never actually compensated for it. And in some cases, they brought diseases. Yeah. They abused, enslaved, and raped, and even, in certain cases, murdered Indigenous peoples. And I, I just simply acknowledged that. And this chief named Colin came up to me afterwards, as you just read, in tears, and said, I want to thank you for saying that, because I've never heard anyone who's not Native, make that acknowledgement unless they were being pressured to do so externally. And so I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, I'm, I'm so sorry for what the Christian church did to your people. Um, it didn't reflect the character of Christ, but as a leader of the Christian church, I want to say I'm sorry and to ask you for a gift that we don't deserve, um, your forgiveness. Yeah. And I haven't had a lot of interaction with, with many First Nations people, but the ones that I've met, and we've hosted dialogue circles at our church in anticipation of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission hearings, um, they want to forgive. And, you know, they've been hurt, but they want to move on. And those who know God especially feel that God is calling them to, to let go uh, the bitterness of the past, the pain of the present. But it's a lot easier to do that when the perpetrator is willing to make some kind of acknowledgement and not be in denial. Yeah. And so I think that our willingness to acknowledge the wrongs of the past and, and then our saying in our actions and our words that we, we see you um, makes a big difference. Well, what really struck me about your apology is that it was, you know, on on behalf of the church, but it was also very personal and very one-on-one. -on -one. And I think sometimes we may think that, well, Stephen Harper apologized, so that's enough. But what I'm hearing in this story is the power of you apologizing on behalf of the church as a pastor. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's easy to abstract a lot of issues. It's, it's, it's different when you know, there's someone right in front of you who yeah. you're talking to, you're looking them in the eye. 
um, it, it, it changes the dynamic and it, it takes the whole issue to a much deeper, more personal level. Yeah. And the fact that your sermon uh, received attention, and maybe you can tell us a little more about that. I, I think it was published in an American journal or magazine. You could tell us that. And also, why do you think it's touched such a nerve? Is it that we're ready? We're ready to be uh, challenged in this way? Yeah, I feel the issue is is ripe. And in a place like Canada, you know, Nicholas Kristof, the, the journalist with the New York Times, has said in one of his columns that Canada now is the leader of the free world. And ironically, best embodies the, the values of the Statue of Liberty that, mm. that stands, of course, facing the Atlantic Ocean, welcoming the, the refugees of the world, people coming from impoverished places. And so I think that Canadians have it in us to engage people around the world. We have a welcoming spirit. And then I think it also resonated with, with people because people said, we've never heard a sermon on, on this issue. And a First Nations leader that I had interacted with, uh, Janine Erickson, uh, told me that as far as she knew, uh, no churches were taking the TRC calls to action for the church seriously. And why, why do you think that is? Like, and I will confess that I think in my own hearing of the TRC, I think I thought of the recommendations to churches as like big C church. This is like what the church needs to do and not necessarily what the congregation I attend needs to do. Is that part of what's happening here? Well, I think the recommendations, you're right, were to the big C church. Uh, but if the small C church yeah. doesn't respond, it doesn't really mean anything because it right. means that no action is being taken. It has okay. to be on a local and a personal level. Yeah. So what is your church doing? What What are your next steps? Well, we're doing some, some, some small things. So, for example, for some of our worship services, we've got four venues. Uh, we begin by acknowledging that we live, work, and worship on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, uh -huh. And Squamish Coast Salish peoples, and so it's a it's a small step, but it means a lot to our First Nations uh, sisters and brothers. Uh, we've also encouraged people to, to march in, in in freedom and reconciliation demonstrations to befriend First Nations people, not just for them, but because we're going to be immeasurably enriched through those relationships. And uh, I've got a colleague, Melissa Ewing, who is on our staff who's passionate about being a bridge, she's a First Nations ancestry, and so they're small steps, but we want to be moving in the direction of conciliation and reconciliation. Another thing that struck me about your sermon, Ken, is that you actually invited Melissa to speak and share her own experience uh, as someone whose ancestors include First Nations people, and I thought that was really interesting and moving as well, that you're you're not speaking on behalf of other people. You're also listening. Yeah, and, and when you look at Melissa, you don't necessarily know right away that she's First Nations. If you're told that, you could see, oh, I can see that in her. Uh, but we know and, and love her. And, and for her to talk about how when she was, I think, in grade six, uh, she jumped into a swimming pool in her small town here in B.C. And, and a guy said, you know, go back to the reserve, you dirty Indian. Yeah. She, she kind of looked around and wondered, is he talking to me? And when 
she realized that he was talking to her. She said she was flooded with feelings of shame. And, and so to know that this has impacted someone that we know and care about, it, 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 this issue impacts us more viscerally and personally. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we, um, let's say the average, you know, churchgoer in Canada who does not have it has not had a lot of interaction with First Nations peoples. How do we do that? How do we uh, go and make friends without being paternalistic again? I guess attitude is important, obviously. Yeah, I think that attitude is important. And you know, in, in the message, I, I talked about how when Christ makes us new, one of the, the, the signs that, that we've been made new is that we see people differently because what we see is always the result of, of who we are. Okay. And some of us have stereotypes mm-hmm. about certain kinds of people. So, for example, my dad, was, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago, was one of the finest, kindest people that I've ever known. And um, when my younger sister was in high school, uh, she was uh, being picked up by a black guy. They were going out on a date, and for some reason, my usually mild-mannered, uh, low-key father felt compelled to follow them oh. <laughs> to downtown Montreal. And uh, when they were arriving at his apartment, he jumped out and said, uh, excuse me, um, why don't you come to our house and just hang out in our living room? And so my dad, for some reason, had this stereotype that right. it wasn't safe you know, for his daughter to go on a date with a black guy yeah. without a chaperone. Mm. And, and some of the best of us, we all have stereotypes, and we may have stereotypes of, of First Nations people. And I think to, to resist those stereotypes and be, to be open to relationships. And if we're living in a major city, it's almost certain that we're in proximity, if not to a reserve, to First Nations people, and to be open maybe through friends or friends to connecting. And not with the attitude that I'm here to help and I'm the yeah. savior, but you know, what, can, what can I learn? And so... Okay. For example, um, my friend Mark Buchanan uh, lived out on uh, Vancouver Island, and um, he had heard about something called the sweetgrass ceremony. He didn't know what it was, and he asked uh, his only First Nations friend about this, and his, his friend said, well, here's what we do. And he, he, he ran upstairs, got some sweetgrass that, according to Mark, looked like sage. He lit it and said, when this, this smoke begins to waft over us, we're reminded that we're supposed to be truthful to each other and honest. If we're tempted to lie, we're to resist that. And, and Mark said, uh, I need this for, mm. for my church board meetings. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to do a sweetgrass ceremony myself. I haven't had a chance to do it, but I've asked a friend if I could participate in one. So I feel like I could learn from that. That would maybe generate some controversy. but Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's like talk about that for a minute. Because here's another uh, few lines from your, from your sermon that has to do with just that. Most, I'm quoting, most of us are fine with adopting a Christian hymn using European music of pagan origins, which is the case with Charles Wesley's hymns that were used in the barroom melodies of 18th century pagan England. But we are uncomfortable when it comes to adopting a practice from Asia or Africa or First Nations peoples. That really struck me. And I thought, I think, and I'm going to make a generalization here, but maybe particularly in the evangelical community, uh, the thought of, of adopting that kind of practice does make us particularly edgy and nervous. Um, so speak to us about how you are proceeding into that and your thoughts on that. Yeah. So 
I work from the assumption that, that all cultures, on the one hand, are stained by sin, but all cultures at, at some level also reflect the image of God. And if someone, say, in my church is resistant to the idea of using a First Nations practice or an Asian practice as, as part of our Christian worship, I ask them, do you have any issue with baptism? Is that a problem for you? Yeah. And of course, the person will say no. And I said, do you know that that baptism was a pagan rite in the first century world. And in, in some senses, I know this sounds redundant, but Christians were baptizing yeah. <laughs> baptism, the rite, this, 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 this pagan cultic ceremony for their own purposes. And, you know, God is, is bigger than culture, and, and God can also redeem things. And when we use cultural practices that are indigenous for someone, it'll be a whole lot more meaningful for that person. Right, okay. And I guess there would be another situation where we could dialogue and listen uh, with our First Nations brothers and sisters in the faith and help them lead us in that way. Is that right? Oh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because there would be certain practices that they would certainly askew. Uh, I don't think that they would uh, support, at least Christians, uh, say, praying to our ancestor spirits. Uh, as such, and there are others that they say these can be Christianized, like the potlatch ceremony where uh, people come together to celebrate and they express their joy by giving their their most treasured possessions away. That's profoundly Christian, yeah, and that's something that we can learn from. Hmm. Wow, Ken. Uh, as we wrap up, what are your final words of uh, wisdom? Understanding that you are, um, you know beginning this reconciliation journey with your church and yourself in your own life. Uh, what words of encouragement do you have for people who might be listening to this today who are just starting to think about these things? Yeah, and I'm no expert on these matters myself. Um, but as I was researching for the sermon that you alluded to, mm-hmm. I, I remembered that I had lived in a place called Kitts Point here in Vancouver when I first moved back to the city. And as I was doing some research, I discovered that back in 1886, when our city was being founded, some colonists from Europe moved on to Kitts Point, and there were indigenous people there that were farming the land and fishing off the the shore. And, And they literally forced them off of their own land onto a barge, which floated to the north shore of, of Greater Vancouver. And then not long thereafter, the great fire of Vancouver broke out, which literally burned our city down in in 15 minutes. And as uh, the city was on fire, uh, people were running into the water. And some First Nations people from the North Shore saw the smoke wafting up into the sky, the city burning. So they got into their canoes and they they paddled over and they began rescuing body by body Mm. these European colonists, some of whom were the very ones that had pushed them off their own land. And as they were getting into the boats, um, some of the, the Native people we're singing, and, and, and I, I hear from Audrey Rivers. Uh, her father was actually on one of these boats. Audrey Rivers is a, is a First Nations elder. That some of the mothers, the European mothers, were covering the ears of their children, saying, Don't listen to the music. They're cursing you. They're cursing you. Mm. When in fact they were singing in their native tongue, wow. Kiri Eleison, Lord have mercy. Oh, Lord have mercy. And so I believe that as we befriend, uh, and experience conciliation with our First Nations sisters and brothers, um, not only will their lives be healed in some way, but that in, in some measure we will be made more whole and we might even be saved in some unexpected way. Mm. 
Ken, thank you so much. Thank you for your sermon and thank you for sharing with us today. Yeah, you bet, Karen. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.